Hi and welcome to the Psyche Podcast where we discuss all things mindset, mental well-being and living your best life. I'm your host Hannah and I'm a mindset and mental well-being coach and founder of Psyche Coaching. Welcome and we hope you enjoy the show. Hi everybody and welcome back. Hope you have had a good week and as you may have known because we're around a lot on social media last week if you're following our Instagram it was mental health awareness week and so I think it is uh, yeah a really important time to bring awareness to mental health but just because the week is over doesn't mean the conversation stops so as always I'm still going to be here talking about mental health um, and having these honest conversations, challenging misconceptions, and offering practical strategies, as we usually do. And I'm really excited to welcome this week's guest, Sarah, to the podcast. And Sarah will share a little bit about the way that she helps people move through trauma and difficult times in their life. And particularly, uh, I think what's quite interesting is we talk a fair amount about narcissists and yeah, a bit more about narcissism and, and what that looks like and moving beyond it. So it is a very interesting episode. I really enjoy chatting to Sarah and I hope you really enjoy listening to what she has to say. So let's dive in and I'll check in with you after. Hi everyone, I'm really happy to introduce this week's guest Sarah to the podcast. So welcome Sarah. And if you could introduce yourself to the listeners and tell us a little bit about you, that would be great. Yeah, so hi, thanks so much for having me. My name's Sarah Griffiths um, and I'm a very specialised trauma and abuse therapist. Um, And I'm very specialised because I use a very unique methodology, which is a hybrid of things that I was taught and things that I've discovered for myself by working with my clients. But what really sets me apart is because I work with the subconscious, um, the results that I get for people are, number one, they're very fast. Um, So I run a program, CPTSD free in 12 weeks, complex post-traumatic stress free in 12 weeks. Um, My results are fast and I just achieve things with and for my clients that are absolutely impossible with traditional therapy methods. Yes, those things have a place, but when it comes to dealing with the emotional impact and the bodily trauma of any abuse, we need to be looking at other methods. And that's what I do. I think that's absolutely amazing because 12 weeks, when you say like that, feels like no time at all really when you're possibly dealing with things that have been present for a long time or maybe have their roots way back in childhood or feel like really massive stuff to deal with so 12 weeks just sounds amazing so I wonder if you could talk a little bit about without giving away all your secrets um, about how you access the subconscious of how you you do that work in such shorter time yeah, and of course, and that, and that's very important. So one of the things when, when people have these deep-seated problems that they've been dealing with for a long time, often what traditional talk therapy has taught them is, what traditional talk therapy has taught them is that it's going to take a long time to get over or that they never will. And these are my pet hates. So when people come to me, I tell them to forget everything that they've already been taught. 
any therapy that they've already been through, what it's led them to believe, kind of put that on the side because I work in a completely different way. And what we have to understand is the part of the mind that is seriously affected, especially when childhood abuse is involved, is the subconscious because it's the subconscious that absorbs from the environment, from what's happening around you. For a child, it absorbs who they are, what their value and worth is, what they should think about themselves, and it gives them their view of the world. So by the time someone's 10, their blueprint, how they see themselves, the world and others, is created. And it's stored in the subconscious, and it runs forward, and it, it, it then controls the adult life until it is uncovered and changed. So that's why the work that I do is so powerful because I use I use deep relaxation techniques, um, hypnotherapy, which is just relaxation. Then we just get into a relaxed state and access another part of our mind. And I use it to rapidly, once we're in this, this relaxed state, we can rapidly, by asking very direct questions, we can get the subconscious mind to show us the blueprint, the thought patterns, the behavior patterns that someone is running and why they are running them. And what people realize is I'm running my adult life as if I was still four or six or eight and I still have all this fear and I feel powerless and helpless and trapped, but I'm not four anymore. And this is the work that we do. We then upgrade all of those thoughts, behaviors, everything that doesn't serve the client, everything they think about themselves, the fact that they don't think they're enough, they have no value and worth. And because we are dealing direct with the thought patterns, we can instantly change them. It really, it's not hard. It's not hard to uncover. It's not hard to understand. And it's not hard to change. And that's why I can get people to have those massive shifts in 12 weeks. And it doesn't take 12 weeks. They get a really big shift, a difference in understanding in every single session. It's just that it's multi-layered and we build on them. And, and that's how it works. And that's why I love it. Because people say to me, don't you find it hard dealing with so much trauma and so much abuse all the time? And yes, yeah, sometimes people's stories can be very harrowing, but at the end of every session, at the end of every client for me, is real healing. So it's there's a joy, there's a re, there's a real pleasure at the end of every session, and certainly at the end of every client journey. It's amazing to see where they were and where they got to. Sorry, that's me. I can talk for ages about this stuff because I love it. So talking on there I can definitely see it and kind of feel the, the passion you have for for talking about it and I and I think that the subconscious is the really key thing isn't it because we can sort of have that feeling of maybe not feeling good enough and we can try and consciously overcome it and tell ourselves that, that we are good enough yes but if we don't address that underlying pattern of where it's coming from there's a limit to how much you can transform that so that subconscious is really key isn't it 
Absolutely, because what you're trying to do when you're just talking to the conscious mind, as you said, you're trying you're trying to overlay. It's like trying to overlay. Let's think we've got neural pathways. So every thought process is a neural pathway. So if you think of the one that's laid down in the subconscious as a major A road, multi-laned, been there a long time, it's absolutely solid. You've been running this for a long time. And then you're trying to counter that in the logical conscious mind it's like laying a bit of gravel on the top of it you know it's it's ineffective whereas when we go in and do the work where the pathway is we can lay a totally new one equally as solid equally as meaningful yeah so talk therapy has its place for sure and you know you don't have to take my word for it there are plenty of people out there who will be saying, I've been having therapy for 12, 14. I even have people come to me who've had therapy for 40 odd years and they're still in a terrible state. And we do this work and it just transforms their lives. So, yeah. Amazing. And you work with trauma and, and abuse a lot. And do you find that there are similar patterns that, or similar uh, things that lots of your clients are experiencing, kind of like common threads? Oh, very definitely. I mean, the details are always different and every client is totally bespoke. They have their own journey. They have their own way that they're affected. But yeah, there there are definite patterns. And to be honest, there aren't that many of them. And for me, it's, it's just about, I, I hate labels. I hate labels. I hate it when people say I've got ADHD, I've got ADD, bipolar, Um, I've been told I'll have my depression forever. I've been told I'll never overcome my anxiety. All these labels. For me, I look at the client and your symptoms, you know, when you talk about anxiety, depression, all these behaviors, the anger, the hurt, they're not what's wrong with you. They're just a symptom. Those are the symptoms. And what's wrong with everyone is that they are deeply hurting and they have huge unmet childhood needs. And really it's as simple as we uncover what those are and we fix them. We fix them. And, and that's that's what it comes down to. And yes, there are patterns because the because of the way the mind and body works, the body will bodily take on the trauma, which is where the anxiety, the shaking, the sickness, the panic comes from. It's a body where the primal fear system has been taught to be active all the time and it becomes so active that it can't actually stop. Um, And so that's the trauma response that we have to deal with. And then in the mind, uh, mostly what happens is that people's, when people are children, they don't get a chance to develop their sense of self is really the overlying pattern. And we just break down how that's affecting someone. My job is to teach someone how to love themselves again, how to fall in love with yourself, teach you what an amazing person you really are. Because kids in an abusive situation are never taught that. So as an adult, they don't have that foundation. And it means that they find it hard to make decisions. They can't trust themselves. They can't trust other people. Um, But they've also been taught to be people pleasers. They've been taught to keep quiet, that they don't have a voice, they don't matter. 
And what they learned as a child was that the best way to stay out of any trouble at all was to not be seen and not be heard. And that's what they do in their adult lives as well. And they just end up in more abusive relationships because they don't know how to establish their values and how to impose boundaries for healthy relationships. And those, those are the main things that show up, but they're pretty universal. It's really interesting um, listening to you there because there are a few things that you mentioned about particularly the, the people pleasing and the not having that sense of self that are things that I recognize for myself. And I don't have an experience of abuse that, that you know, that I would call that. I do have a sort of traumatic event, I guess, that I can think about in my teenagers. But I still, a lot of those things you say, even though I don't resonate with having had an abusive childhood, it's still having had a big event that's that's shaped me or had a big impact on me as a child maybe not you know pre-10 years old there's still a lot of things that you're talking about that that I can relate to and I think that even people who who maybe don't feel they've gone through abusive trauma there's probably still a lot of stuff that you've mentioned that they are still experiencing about that sense of self and the way we feel about ourselves because I think so people don't love themselves, don't like themselves even. And I think that is a big, a big thing. That is such a good and valid point. Because yes, this sense of not being good enough. Um, there are so many things in our lives. We, we are so critical of ourselves that it is very, very easy for us to accept everything negative that comes to us and to reject the positive And this is the interesting thing, that whilst abuse has this horrific, debilitating effect, there are many, there's almost no one out there that, as you said, can't relate to some of this in some way. And it does affect your life. Um, And where it comes from is is that we don't realise that even that when we talk about abuse, yes, there is the traditional, and that's mostly what I deal with. Um, but the, there can be a similar impact in that when we're children, we are vulnerable and we are powerless. So again, we, we absorb everything from our environment and we do absorb all of this negativity. Um, and it, it's funny because some of the people that I work with Sometimes they don't seem to have had much in their background that could possibly cause extreme depression. But it all comes down to, it it isn't even necessarily about facts. It's about what you perceive as a child. So you could have someone who from a young age, their mum was working. This is common. So let me tell you how this works. Their mum was working. As a child, what you don't, as an adult, you look at that and go, oh, my God, she worked so hard and they looked after us and, wow, look at what she did. But as a child, that needs love, care, support, attention, and you're looking to your parents from those things. If your mother is working, you don't rationalize it and say, oh, my mom's not here because she needs to work to support us. I'll just clean the house for her for when she comes back. What you say as a child, my mum isn't here, that means that I'm not important. It also means that she doesn't love me enough. And if my mum doesn't love me, I'm not lovable. That is, you would not believe that it's such a common thread. 
And people don't know it as an adult. You don't look at what you're thinking and feeling and say, oh, that must have come from that, from those years when my mum was working and I used to let myself in from school. And you don't think that, but it's what we go back and uncover in the subconscious. And people are always so shocked. And of course, we can undo it there and then because they know that it wasn't true. And even if it was true, they're an adult now and they don't need, they don't have childhood needs anymore. And this is often a confusion as well, that what we're trying to do in our adult life is to meet unmet childhood needs because they're still there. And when people can see that they don't have those needs anymore because they're not a child, they're an adult, and they and other people can fulfill these needs for themselves. This is why when we can teach people to love themselves, you can meet so many of your own needs. And it means that you approach your relationships with other people from a much healthier perspective because you're not coming from need. You're coming from want and you're coming from being able to give from an abundance within yourself, which is a completely different place to be. And it changes everything. Your relationship with yourself is the foundation for your whole life. Everything you do in your life. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. And, and that's something that the more conversations I have on this podcast, the more that that message is kind of coming through from what people are saying about the, you know, doing lots of work on themselves and accepting themselves. And then that has helped mm. you know, transform them. And I just wanted to reference back to, to something you said about um, that it's all about the way the person feels about the situation, because even if objectively looking at it, it's like, well, no, that is not at all what happened. And it's, not correct for that person it's their truth it's what they believe so even if it isn't true objectively it's true to them so it still has an impact absolutely and and that is again such a big point you know sometimes when we're doing the work people will say to me suppose I remember it wrong suppose I got the facts wrong you know they're they're worried and one of the things I reassure people is it doesn't matter this isn't, this isn't about facts and figures and blame. This is about your perception. What situation were you in? How did you perceive things as a child? So, yeah, that's, that's the most important thing. It's all about perception. Yeah. Uh, so something I'd, I'd love to talk about um, briefly is about narcissism, because I know that's something that, that you're um, working around. And I know I, I've experienced... Um, I guess having to deal with a narcissist in in my life in a, in a work situation, which was not a fun experience, I guess. But I don't know whether when you know when you're working with around narcissism, is it people who have had a narcissist in their life, or do you tend to work with people who have more narcissistic tendencies themselves, or do you think we all are a bit narcissistic? Oh, look, narcissism in its very broad form is is kind of selfish. And we are all capable of being selfish at some point. But the, the big difference is that for most of us, we care about other people. We are hardwired to respond to the distress and the upset of other people. And it keeps us balanced. So it means that we tend, if, if we do something selfish, it's going to be rare. And if we know that we are being overly selfish, we are going to respond to that. You know, we feel bad, we feel empathy. So for most of us, it keeps us on that very, very 
minor low level. Whereas, of course, the, I mean, there are many things that distinguish true narcissists. Um, but the big thing is that they have no empathy. So they have nothing to balance their thoughts, their words, their actions. They are just self-centered and they have no thought or care, even when confronted with it, of what they are doing to other people. That's the big difference. And most of us in this world do not operate like that. You know, um, and the interesting thing about the work that I do until the last few months, I was dealing with, of course, emotional abuse. And a lot of it does come from narcissism and narcissism as a child is very damaging. Children as adults, we struggle to, to deal with narcissists. Children have no hope at all. It completely destroys them. Children who had narcissistic parents come to me and they are literally destroyed in every way doesn't mean we can't put them back together, and we do, in exactly the same way. Um, but, that, yeah, they are devastated people. Um, but then just recently, because I've actually myself been in a 25-year narcissistic marriage, but what happened very recently, and this, is, this has taken a big twist in the work that I'm doing, is my husband asked me to do one of the things, I, one of the sessions I do is called Rapid Transformation Therapy. And he asked me to do a session on him, which I've done before and helped him with a few things. But it wasn't about his behavior. You have to understand this. He wasn't just suddenly a narcissist who just suddenly went, wow, I'm behaving badly. I need to do something about this. This was about him. And he, uh, he said to me, can you do a session? I, I want to work out why I'm always so unhappy. So he recognized that he was unhappy. And what we revealed in the session, it was very telling. I mean, I was, I was silently crying. It was so distressing. And he, he uncovered, it was unexpected for him, he uncovered a belief that he didn't deserve to be happy, which was, it was quite amazing. But along with the belief, along with that, and when we changed that belief and made him see he did deserve to be happy, what he saw was that myself and our boys deserved to be happy too. Now, I'm not saying that there was this instant amazing change and he was suddenly this incredible person, but this was only about six months ago. And since then, obviously, lucky he's got me. I know how to help him with this stuff. He's been making some incredible changes. And it has led me to, to be working on on the on the theory that if their motivation is there if they understand what they're doing and most narcissists don't and i i know that that's the stumbling block but if there are people out there with narcissistic traits that want to change or if there are couples that are struggling then they can be helped you know these are neural pathways and you have to understand as well, I've done a lot of work with my husband over the last few months, and he was hurting. So narcissists are hurt. No one is born a narcissist. They are made. They are formed. And whether it's what their parents, and, and God, his parents, they were, they were amazing people in their own way, and, and they would never have wanted this for him. But he had a very controlled upbringing. And it led him to develop this false self because he couldn't be himself. And we've uncovered and are working on repairing all of that. And then a um, few weeks ago, he made a 
couple of videos with me to talk about himself as a narcissist, the things that went on in our relationship, but also the changes that he's making. So that has been fascinating because since we did that and it was picked up and an article was written about it, I do now have different people contacting me, people saying, can a narcissist really change? How would we go about doing this? Um, and looking at us working together, the, the work that we've done as, as a couple. So that's been fascinating because yes, most of the work I do is with the people who are abused, but I would like to start to extend that and to people who have not, whether they're MPD diagnosed or not, um, I would love to start working with people who want to make these changes because I believe they can. My, my husband is true. So that's been fascinating. Yeah, it's been amazing. Yeah, amazing, Tira. And I think, I guess, obviously, on a personal level for you in your marriage, that's great that he's processing some of those patterns and then it's having a positive impact on your interactions, but also professionally, obviously really interesting as well. And and I think from just my experience with the, the person that I worked with who was a narcissist, that the impact that they had on the people all around them from the way they interacted and the way they handled situations that had a far reaching impact. And, and obviously an individual who has been abused, it's really important for them to look after themselves and do the work. But in some ways, actually for you being able to work with narcissists to change those patterns has a massive, like far reaching impact because then all those people they're going to impact possibly won't be. Absolutely. And, and you find that, the the ripple effect, as you say, the impact that narcissists have, because it's so dark and so negative and so heavy, and because they have no self-regulation, the impact they make is probably far greater than most of us. Because most of us control ourselves. You know, we're self-aware, know the impact we're having, so we stop. Or a narcissist doesn't. They just bulldoze their way through time and time and time again. And I have had a couple of people who are, and this is interesting, we don't think about what it's like for the narcissist. We just think about them being terrible people. And when I saw the pain my husband was in when we did this work, and I've since had a couple of NPDs diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder, I've had a couple of people reach out to me and say, thank you so much for exposing this because... People think we're terrible people, and, and they are. They cause devastation. But, and they've said, I'm NPD diagnosed, and I hate myself. I hate my life. I hate who I am. I hate what I do. And if you could help me change. And this is what we don't see. And I, I agree not that, you know, so many people are going to be up in arms and people say, oh, you're giving people false hope, and narcissists can't change, and it's not fair, and... But for the ones that can, even if it's a small percentage out there that that really want to get to grips with who they are and we can make some differences there, what an impact. How many lives does that change? You know, as you said, to every single person who crosses their path. So I would love to see this work grow. Mm. So I think if we link back to what we were saying about the, the patterns of behaviour and the pathways, that everyone has their own patterns and pathways that they're playing out. And so for someone who does have narcissistic personality disorder, they have their own pathways that are maybe just 
very different to other people that they're, they're maybe having this negative impact on other people, but they still have these pathways that they're, they're following. And so if you can access the subconscious and work with them. Absolutely. Yeah. To be honest, the way that neuroscience teaches us is that the, the neural pathways are elastic and everything can be changed. And the key is to someone, we can't work with someone who doesn't want the change. We can't make people do what they don't want to do. But I honestly believe that what the mind creates, the mind can uncreate. And what all we have to do is access what has been created, what's the impact it's having, what is it that we don't want anymore, and what do we want instead? Mm. And that's it. That's, that's, that's the work. And I, I honestly, I, I believe that anyone who wants to can change in any way. Because everything has roots that people are not aware of. And when we can uncover, and even if we can't uncover the root, if we can just uncover the, the key underlying feelings, the thoughts, the perceptions, we can create new neural pathways with those. Mm. I've never worked with anyone that I haven't thought about the change that they wanted. The mind is amazing. You just have to access it in the right way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the key, one of the key things you said there is about that desire to change. Yeah. Because even if everyone around them is saying you need to change, if they don't want to, don't think they need to, they're not going to because they're not open to it. No, people have to change for themselves. Even my husband with his narcissistic behavior, if you look at it, he didn't look at it and go, oh my God, I'm having a terrible impact on my wife. I need to do something here. Even his motivation was narcissistic. It was like, oh, can you help me with this? Because I'm so unhappy. It, there wasn't a proviso to that. And I understand that I'm making you unhappy too. <laughs> that wasn't there. So, but we don't care. We don't care what the motivation for the change is if it's going to bring about good, because he's now moving away from that. And he will honestly say, I know when I started, this was about me, but already it's about other people. I don't want to be who I was. I don't want to impact people as I was. And we all have permission to pull him up all the time on everything, you know, all his exaggerations, all of his gaslighting, all of his blase promises. Um, and, yeah, sometimes he gets frustrated and gets cross, but we just keep reminding him that he's not that person anymore. And and to get to that place is, is quite amazing. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I suppose if anyone's listening who feels that they are a narcissist or a, a possibly in a relationship with someone, then it's something really interesting and, and, and possibly we'll talk a bit later about how people can connect with you to find out more. I have some standard questions that I ask all the guests that come on the podcast that I'd love to run through with you. Okay. So my first one is what always boosts your mood or what brings you joy in your life? My dog and the beach. The beach is my happy place. Doesn't matter if it's cold and windy, if it's warm and sunny. And I, I, living in Western Australia, uh, we are spoiled for beautiful beaches. And my dog, uh, because he's a rescue dog, he was in a terrible state when we got him and it took months of hard work to, to really get him. But he is the most loving, most loyal. And I just look at him and he's just, he's the epitome of recovering from abuse. And I, I love everything about him. Mm. What type of dog? 
Okay. He's a bulldog, so he's an American bulldog Labrador mix. Okay. So he's a big boy that was was abused. He has a big heart. I am. Um, I have a staffy. He's actually asleep next to me on the sofa, and he's also a rescue who had um, abuse in his past. And it is amazing to see the transformation when you can see the trust is there and their personality comes out. And yeah, it's exactly the same with people. Mm. There's nothing like a loving, supportive, healthy relationship for helping someone recover, but for helping support their recovery. Yeah. And we see this, and I think that's why we love what we see. You know, as, as people, we have such a lot to answer for. We abuse our world, we abuse people, we abuse animals, and it, yeah, it's it's horrendous. We need a, we need a lot more love and caring and sharing out there. Mm, yeah. So my next question for you is what makes life meaningful for you? I would say at the moment, it probably used to be my children, but they're 23 now. I have 23-year-old twins who are doing their own thing. And of course, we never stop being parents, but they need us in different ways. And I would say for me at the moment, it absolutely is my work. I'm so passionate about not just about changing people's lives, but I want to change understanding of mental health. I want to change the approach, the way people think about it. And the fact that only traditional talk therapy that is largely ineffective is funded um, as as helping people heal. And I really would like to educate people much more about the kind of holistic processes that I do that can achieve so much more. And yet people are not given access to them and they're not told about them. And so many people just spend a lot of money and not to mention years in emotional and mental pain um, when they don't need to. There are methods out there that will change people's lives in the first session like mine and it really this year I'm passionate about really speaking out about this and trying to get something done. It's a big task but yeah it's it's, it's my life at the moment, and I love it. Mm, amazing. So my next one, I guess, links um, a little to what you said. And so mental health is something that we're, we're big on on the podcast that we're that always talking about and, and trying to have conversations about things that maybe aren't talked about so much. But we also talk a lot about mental wellness because everybody has a mental world that they should look after, I think, anyway, that... Um, even if they don't experience what we would call mental illness in their life. So my question, it's actually two questions, is what does mental wellness mean to you? And how do you look after your own mental well-being? Okay, so the beat comes into that again. Mm -hmm. So I will sometimes when I just need time out, for whatever reason, I will just go and often it's the beach, but just go and walk with my dog because I can talk to him and he's sensible. Um, but very much, I'm constantly checking my thought patterns. I don't allow myself negative thoughts because one of the one of the big factors in mental health is um, the critical words that we say to ourselves. We are very critical. We would never let a friend talk to us the way we talk to ourselves. So I'm very very aware of my own thought patterns and behaviours. And I check things very, very, uh, very fast immediately. Um, but then I do, I do meditation and hypnosis on myself as well. 
and and that is amazing for grounding um, and mindfulness. Obviously, I'm very aware of all these things, and I just bring them all in as I need to, you know, as as I see that something's affecting me, I'll turn to mindfulness. Um, as I say, I'm very quick on my negative thoughts and words. I write a lot of stuff down. I journal. But I also have four notes and things around my house. If something is happening at the time, um, I'll, I'll have things around my house. And something, this is something everyone can do. People should have I Am Enough written all over their house on little post-it notes, on A4 pieces of paper, on the fridge, by the kettle, by the computer. Write it in lipstick on the mirror. It, it should be all over your house to remind you all the time that you're enough. Do you know, I, this is a, a little spooky as well. I've got a necklace. It's a mantra necklace. It says, I am enough on it that I wear. And I, I had um, a couple of weeks ago, I wore it to work. And I had a couple of times in the day where I think I was having thoughts about not being enough. And it came undone and it kind of fell so that I, had to, I became consciously aware of it and had to do it back up, which was just a bit spooky there. I almost needed that reminder of I am enough. And then it was like, oh, I've got to fix my my necklace um but it was one of the the mantras that really stood out to me that that I try and remind myself like I am enough so I have it on this beautiful necklace to just remind myself during the day so yeah so aside from the big sessions that we do these are the kind of tools and techniques that I teach people to keep them grounded and they really really help and the other one I don't have it on at the moment because I just had a shower but I have a necklace you reminded me that has an elephant on it and the elephant is my totem. It kind of like, so everything that the elephant represents is what I turn to when I, when I need to ground myself. And I will do exactly the same thing when I'm feeling like, oh, I just need to get a grip here. I'll just hold my elephant and just try and embody all the courage, the strength, the patience. And you literally just channel, just channel elephant for 30 seconds. And it makes a huge difference. So that's great. Thank you for reminding me about that. We're going to come back to strategies in a moment. But I've got one more question first before we get to that one. So the other big thing I talk about a lot is mindset and how how much of an impact that has. So can you describe your own mindset? It didn't used to be, but extremely positive. Extremely. Like 99%. I don't allow negativity. I just don't don't allow it and that's something that you can learn to do and the reason I don't allow it is because obviously I understand how the mind works and there are a few key things to understand so number one your mind reacts to the words and images that you feed it everything that you do is, is based on the words and images that you feed your mind and um, also that your mind's job is it's, your mind's job is to help you fill the gap between where you are and what it thinks you want. So you've got where you are, and if you are focusing on negative things or negative thoughts, you're telling your mind that's what you want. That's what it thinks you want to create. And it will simply support you to stay in that. Whereas if you are constantly focusing on the positive and you're not quite there at the moment, your mind is going to realize that there's a gap and start to think, how do I get you to where you want to be? And that's its job. 
Its job is to keep you safe, but also to give you what it thinks you want. And again, there, there are nine key ways that the mind works that once my clients understand them, really help them to set themselves up for success. Mm, yeah, thank you. So then uh, one of the things I ask guests to do is to leave the listeners with between one and three strategies or techniques that they can put in place in their life that are going to have a massive impact. So we've already talked a little bit about uh, some of the things that you do, but could you sum up your kind of key one to three things that you'd recommend people do? Yeah, so I, I think something I would definitely re- recommend that I only touched on, um, but I recommend keeping a journal. Keep a journal of your thoughts, your feelings, what, how you work. It's not so much a diary. It's like a diary of self. And the reason I tell people to do this is because when things are just in our head, they're just in our head and the weeks roll into months and years. But when we have a journal, even over a few days, we can look back and see patterns, patterns of thoughts, patterns of behavior, and it's much easier to get an understanding of the things that aren't so positive, the things that don't serve you, but that are happening in your life, the ways that you're reacting, what your triggers are, particular thoughts you have, and then you can start to see these for yourself and it starts to make sense about how and what you need to change. That's a big one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think that, that recognizing patterns for yourself and self-awareness is really important. And one of the things that you said that you do is to check in with yourself and when you're noticing things to, to do the things that you know work for you. And so I think that journaling is helping with that increasing self-awareness and seeing the patterns so that before you just kind of sleepwalk into a place where you suddenly wake up one day and you're like, oh, <laughs> I've been so critical, I'm not in a good place. If you can notice it sooner and then stop. Yeah, absolutely. Amazing, thank you for that. So how can people connect with you online if they want to know more about what you're doing, if they want to, to work with you, how can people find you? Yeah, okay, so um, probably the easiest, well, there's a few ways. So my email that comes straight to me, no one else sees it, is um, Sarah. So Sarah with an H on the end, at sallyg.com. So that's the, the name Sally with the letter G.com. Sarah at sallyg.com. And that's my company name as well, Sally G. So on, um, on the internet, they can find my website, sallyg.com. They'll also find me on Facebook under Sally G, sallyg.com, I think. But yeah, that email. And what I do as well, no one has to worry about just jumping straight in. I always want to make sure with my clients that we're a good fit and that I can get them the result they want. So the first thing people can do is book in for a free 30 minutes with me uh, where I help them unpack what's going on for them and just really make sure that we connect. And and then if they want to work with me, um, they do. Most people, once they speak to me, do. Uh, because um, they tend to get a shift in that 30 minutes, um, which, and because my approach is different, um, and I assure people that they will get a result. But I want, I, I never work with people that I don't feel comfortable with or who aren't totally comfortable with me. So, yes, yeah, so I always start there. If, if they're confused, they can come to you and ask you how to get in touch with me too. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, I was going to say we can put the email and your website links in the show notes that people can access it from there as well. And when we announce the episodes out, then we'll link to you um, as well. So Okay, great. Thank you so much, Sarah, for joining me today. I've really enjoyed talking to you and, and exploring. And, and I find that the work that you're doing with narcissism and your your different approach to it, to, to what other people might have, is, is so interesting. And yeah, just thank you. It can really feel your your passion for, for what you do, even through the laptops and the internet. So thank you so much for, for coming. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And I really hope it helps some people. Yeah, I'm sure that there is a lot that people will get from it. So thank you very much. Thank you. So thank you again to Sarah. And I'm not going to keep you too long at the end here, just a couple of little things that I'd like to share. The first is that this weekend, the 30th and 31st of May, is the Boost Your Wellbeing virtual conference. So it's two days full. We've got 13 guest speakers um, on all all kinds of stuff under that uh, wellbeing bracket. And uh, if you're kind of concerned about sitting for two whole days, <laughs> For workshops, every single session is going to be available on replay. So if you buy a ticket, you will get access to the replays as well and the handbook that I've pulled together. And at least 50% of ticket sales is going to go to support the vital work that Mind and Samaritans are doing to support people with their mental health. And they're my two go-tos. You'll hear me talk about them a lot for places to go for support for information. So uh, yeah, so grab your tickets for that. Uh, as I said, everything will be available on the replay. So don't feel you're going to be stuck to your laptop um, for the two whole days. If you grab your ticket, you'll still be able to access those workshops after the fact. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited about how it's come together. It was four weeks ago that I decided that this was going to be a thing. Uh, and now it's really happening. So it would be so great to see some of you there. Uh, so if you head over to our Facebook page, which is just Psyche Coaching, on Facebook and there's a link to the event there and the ticket sales and and all of that Uh, or if you follow me on Instagram there is a link there from my bio and uh, that's the first thing and the second thing I just wanted to mention is that we do now have a Patreon site so if you love the show and you want to support us help us to stay ad free forever um, but to continue to put out a really valuable and important I think conversations about mental health then it would be great if you would become a patron and with that you'll get some added benefits of some bonus episodes and uh, a chance to have a bit of say about the kind of creative choices of the podcast and the the kind of things that we cover Uh, so if you head over to patreon our patreon site is psyche well-being Uh, so psyche as always p-s-y-k-h-e well-being all one word. So yeah, if you want to help us continue to grow, then um, please do consider becoming a patron. But as I've said previously, we are going to remain ad-free forever. So I hope you've had a good week. I hope you, as I said, enjoyed uh, Sarah's views and and the really interesting work that she is doing, particularly with uh, narcissists and and in that area. Um, And I guess there's one thing I just wanted to reflect on Uh, which is about labels and I guess um, to some extent I I agree with Sarah about labeling people and how that can 
can become, I don't know, I guess a negative in that people can become attached to their label in some way and that it can hold them back. But I do think with my own um, healing journey, which is something I've been reflecting on with my depression, that initially that label was very helpful for me in helping me to feel less alone. Um, And by having a name for it, I could figure out what it was and kind of work with it. And I think with depression, it can be very isolating and you feel there's something wrong with you and you're alone. And actually that label did give me that sense of not being alone and that kind of hope that I could get through it. But I think, yes, you can definitely become too attached to that label and that thing, which can maybe hold you back from that that kind of healing. So I guess that's just my thoughts on it. I, I don't know whether I would be completely anti-label uh, in those areas. But again, that is the beauty of the podcast. It's bringing you all different opinions and different perspectives on things. And again, with our strategies, bringing you lots of different ones for our toolbox. So you can kind of pick and choose and try them out and see what works for you. So yeah, we'll be back next week um, another great episode so have a good week remember even though uh, it's not mental health awareness week anymore kindness is still so important for your interactions with the people and also turning it inwards on yourself and being kind to yourself so have a good week be kind to yourself meet yourself where you are and uh, we'll see you next week bye